kittens. It's me, Andrew Lazat, the host of Punch Up Your Life, the show where people come in and they pitch me their life as if it's a big budget blockbuster Hollywood film, and then I give them notes because I have an ego, uh, which is a great jumping in point for this conversation because we talk about the philosophy of art uh, that you almost need to have making a career in it in the first place, and it's a lot about minimalism and the lack of need or want and managing expectation. And I know that Buddhism comes up a fair bit on this podcast, but I swear it wasn't me. It was a natural flow in the conversation. Uh, so there's that. But it's also, it's a longer one because it's a good one uh, for that reason and also we get into a discussion of sexuality in the middle of Pride Month, and of course I wasn't going to try and wrangle someone out of that conversation in the middle of Pride Month, or any month, uh, because that's empathy. I don't know why I have to justify that, but uh, here we are. It's also uh, because our guest this week, J.D. Renault, is one of my best friends, We've known each other a long time, and as we kind of get into, our lives have kind of always been intertwined in this weird way. And uh, JD is one of those artists that I love that's multidisciplinary because they're a great stand-up comedian. They do these great multimedia one-man shows, and they're also uh, an amazing visual artist. Uh, they, they sell stuff out of their own home, but also it's stuff up in galleries. If you want to take a look at placeholdershow.com or follow him on at J.D. Renault on all of the things, uh, well worth a follow. Um, and the other thing about this is, I'm, I'm telling you it was Pride Month when we recorded it, because I don't know when we're going to release it. Because frankly, we were going to start to release these during the quarantine, and then all of the social justice issues started cropping up, as well they should, but I just, uh, I didn't want to make myself the most important thing during this time. I mean, if we had started the podcast already and I'd just been like, hey, fight the power, but also I put up an episode as I do every week, that's a little bit normal. But for me to start a podcast now uh, requires so much advertising and PR that I just didn't feel the world needed at the moment. Um, so that's why I preface this as one of the quarantine podcasts. Uh, and the only reason I bring up that it's longer is, uh, maybe I'm warning you a little, but it's mainly just a warning for Matt, my producer, who I've really thrown him some curveballs during this whole quarantine. And, uh, you know, Matt, this is really your fault. This is what happens when I'm not in the room with you and then you can't crack the whip and really reel me in. You know, isn't this a little bit your fault? But also, like Freud said, uh, we live in constant terror of our mothers because we know uh, when we're born that we survive by literally sucking the life force out of them and live in constant fear of retribution, and that's very much my relationship with Matt. He's a kind, sweet-hearted young man, and I sleep with one eye open in fear of the one day when he gets his just revenge. 
Um, and maybe one day he will be the guest in the chair and we'll have like this Kill Bill style scenario play out, which I look forward to. Anyway, without further ado, in the, in the hope of keeping this brief, which I did not, uh, here's the episode. Enjoy. It's, it's a great one. Okay, bye. Hello, Andrew Lassat. We have both said our names and thus have context to begin the show. Yes, we, we definitely know each other. Yes. Uh, for a while, um, <laughs> I'm from Winnipeg and you're from Toronto or Ontario. Mm-hmm. And then you're now in Winnipeg and I'm in Toronto. Crazy how what those things crazy, work, huh? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and apparently we also grew up, like, a couple minutes away from each other. Uh, yeah. Me in Mississauga, you in Oakville. Yeah, that, that was that was bizarre when I found that out, because I was like, whenever I had to explain to people in Winnipeg where and what Oakville was, no one had any context, except pretty much you. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and even moving back to Toronto uh, later in life, and now Mississauga counts as part of Toronto, and I'm like, no, it no, doesn't. it does not. <laughs> Listen, Maybe it's paper, not part but... of Toronto, and the only famous people to come out of Mississauga are me, Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall, and that weird serial killer that chopped up people's body parts and mailed them around the country. Yeah, that's it. Quite a crew, uh... <laughs> right? N- neurotic in very unique ways, all three of you. <laughs> You, you had, uh, was it Tom Cochran? Uh, Is, yes, Tom Cochran. Tom Cochran, I don't believe, was from Oakville. Uh, he just decided that was where he was going to, like, semi-retire to, or the town he was going to go to. So he did live in my town when I lived there. He may still live there, for all I know. Uh, yeah. But I... You never know where people are going to retire. Like, um, James Gandolfini... Uh, before he died, had a cabin up at Lake of the Woods in Manitoba. And you're like, why, though? I don't know. Well, no, uh, in Halliburton Lake, uh, where my, uh, where my uh, aunt had uh, our cottage, uh, right around the corner, like across the lake in the nicer part of the, this like cottage country area, was like Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's like, uh, cottage cabin thing that, that you could never see, but you just knew oh, was wow. amazing. And apparently they spent, like, more than half the year there, uh, for a, for a period of time, and everyone was just like, just don't bother them. The reason they're comfortable here is people don't bother them. So, I think that's right. part of the reason where, like, celebrities will do stuff like that. Like, I always just joke that, like, that life is a highway, and apparently that highway ends in Oakville, because I don't understand why you would... <laughs> Like raise right. the, raise your family there of all places, but okay, his choice, fine. And for some reason, uh, Kingston, Ontario, has a bunch just hiding around. Just, just it, it's all around. I mean, when I try to explain to people, like, because for for context, uh, I grew up in Oakville, Ontario, uh, lived there for the first twenty two years of my life, and then I uh, met a friend, uh, Paula, on the internet, and we began an internet friendship in around two thousand four. 
and then I moved... Which is very progressive for 2004. Very much so, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, as far as internet relationships. It, it was just the way... Uh, the internet worked for some people. Uh, I don't. It sort of works that way to some now, but not really. Uh, anyway, I we became good friends. I visited uh, twice, and then decided, you know what? I'm going to move to Winnipeg. I am supremely bored of Oakville, and I want out now. Pretty much everybody I knew growing up in Oakville had left at that point. I was just, you know four years out of high school. Everyone had either uh, gotten jobs somewhere out of town or gotten or take, went to university somewhere out of town and then ended up just moving to where they ended up take, going to school or going to toronto pretty much everybody i knew moved to toronto uh, yeah but i uh, i didn't really have any friends i didn't really have a, a an easy access to moving to toronto at the time i had explored it for many many years i had even like gone for job interviews living in oakville that thinking oh i could just work in toronto and then i'll make my way over there gradually didn't come to pass and i was just very stuck in a rut so i decided to move to winnipeg at the age of 22 fully expecting if i didn't like it i would move back uh yeah being like the big city of winnipeg well the big city of winnipeg where uh i could live with someone who was really cool find an entirely new friend group and rent was 350 dollars a month those were the those were some big swing factors man 2004 2008 was 2008 (laughs) Oh, yeah. oh man. <laughs> I mean, we all know it's gone downhill. That's why we're having a quarantine podcast, but... Oh. <laughs> oh. Downhill in many ways. Well, I had two roommates, yeah. but still at the time I'm like, how did we get a three-bedroom apartment for $1,100 on, on Osborne, which is not a cheap neighborhood even then, really. Like, we, we were very yeah. lucky. Uh, but now Osborne barely kind of exists, it, I believe. Oh yeah, there's it's there's nothing there anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, it's kind of sad. Um, but I'm prefacing all this because your movie pitch is about the nostalgia of youth. So I don't feel like <laughs> if anyone's listening, being like, "When are they going to get to the fireworks <laughs> factory?" Oh, it's, it's a yeah. I literally. Funny you say that. Part of one of my other pitches was the time that I worked in a fireworks factory. <laughs> I, I worked at... You know what? We play a fun game on this podcast of what I thought you were going to pitch uh, versus what you pitch. Right, right. And you, you nailed it. You nailed it right there. <laughs> that... that or the pornography store. That where you buy pornography. <laughs> yes. Uh, for other context, for those who don't know me, I am currently uh, a professional visual artist. But before that, I was a pyrotechnician. Before that, I was assistant manager of a pornography store. Uh, and uh, before that, I was a host on a party bus because I've never had a normal job. And I figured. N- nor have I. And that is why we are friends. Exactly. I just. I, I would, whenever I would lose a job, I would try and find the polar opposite of whatever that job was. And that was never a sane choice. I think maybe working at a bookstore was the most normal thing I ever did. And it sucked and it was boring and I hated it. So. Oh, I know because I worked at the store like two down from you and it sucked and was boring and I hated yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I've never been more bored. But, um, but yes, uh, <laughs> But the reason I kind of give that context is because I, I kind of want to set the groundwork a little bit of where I'm at now and how I, like, I've, I've been living in Winnipeg since 2008, been through a whole bunch of different choices, but that was kind of the catalyst of deciding right, to do something I with also, my life. I have no context for you as a teenager. 
I only know, and I mean this in a beautiful way, when your brain broke open. (laughs) You know, for all I know, you could have been normal. Like, boringly normal. Well, yeah, that's... Uh, should, should we set up the, the pitch or set up the event? Kind yeah, of? yeah, yeah, yeah. This I think we've we've teased it. Okay, so my pitch of of basically the story I want to tell or or would be represented is uh, August fourteenth, two thousand three, was the day of the what they refer to as the Northeast Blackout, and the Northeast Blackout was a power grid failure, uh, which I believe started in Ohio. Uh, sort of just a small uh, uh, power surge at a power plant that kind of started a chain reaction, and then most of the northeast of uh, North America went dark. Pretty much most of Ontario, a good chunk of, like, New York and, and like, uh, Pennsylvania, like, a, a good chunk of the of the east coast uh, went dark. Uh, for most places, it was uh, fixed within about a day. Uh, some smaller communities took about four days. But... On that day, I was 17 years old. Uh, I was working at Zeller's, which was a department store. I have to add context to that just for, mm-hmm. for young people. Oh, right, because Zeller's doesn't exist anymore. Nope, straight up does You not. know what I was going to say to you? <laughs> I was debating telling you is like, can we call it Kmart? Because I know Kmart doesn't exist and they won't sue us. <laughs> I don't think Actually, Zeller's has the capacity to sue people either. No. I think there's like a Zeller's outlet store, but like to what end? Like one left. But let's take a minute to tell you that Target is great. Sure. We love Target. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this brings us to our mid-roll sponsor. Welcome to Target, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, the that day, I, I've i thought a lot about, you know, wh- who I was as a young person and when I decided to not live a normal life. When I decided that, like, oh, I, I, I'm kind of uncertain about, you know, a future is in making sane choices because they don't really seem to be fun or even practical. Safe choices don't seem practical for the life I know I kind of have to live. And that day is the first most vivid day I knew that for a fact for myself. And I feel like that is an interesting story. Now, I could tell weird little incidental stories about my life and kind of create like a broader picture of who I am, but I'll be completely frank. I'm 34 years old. I don't know yet. Yeah. Uh, and I probably won't know for a long time. Maybe won't ever, but... That's super healthy. It, uh, you see, audience? We got the healthy bit out of the way first. Oh, yeah. Let's just get that out of the way, because we'll be talking about a lot of other crap. Now we're going <laughs> to load you with sugar. Oh, boy. And also, you kind of set up it almost makes it like a time travel story because we know vaguely where it's supposed to end, but how did we get there and under what context? Right. Uh, so basically, like, uh, the day itself, what I remember, like, I don't remember anything uh, pre, like, the early afternoon. It was just a normal day. It was probably just, like, on the computer watching, playing video games or something. That's What, that's... what would the normal day have been? Yes, what is your, your expectations did you like your job at the time, even? At the time, I didn't hate it because I was 17. I think I'd been working there for about two years, uh, and I'd made friends there. And I uh, friends that I'm still friends with to this day. A uh, good friend of mine, Tim, 
uh, who you're aware of, uh, we met there. Yes. Uh, he was he's like a year older than me, so we didn't go to the, and we didn't go to the same school, but we became friends working at Sellers. Uh, so I'm gonna preface this with Tim and I are not the same person, but every time I meet Tim, because we live in the same city now, mm-hmm. we are always wearing the same outfit. So I yeah, know you guys throughout this movie, someone is dressed like me. You guys mature in very similar ways, actually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so working there, uh, I, it was a job. I mean, uh, for some context about you know my standing, like uh, I was raised by a single parent, uh, and pretty much I had to have a job since I was able to have a job to kind of make, you know, to, if I wanted anything, I pretty much had to pay for it. And I, right. I paid, uh, at least portions of rent, even throughout high school. Like I, I chip in like, you know, hundred, two hundred $200 a month or whatever, whatever I was able to when I could. And then when I was out of high school, I was paying like a tr- Like when I say I moved to Winnipeg cause rent would be $350 before that I was paying 400 to live at home with my mom. Like I, I didn't, mooch off of anything i had to help support because uh, yeah. oakville is not a not an no, that's why i town. moved out too because yeah. my mom was like if you i figured out what it would cost me to use the family car at, for a month in gas and then i found an apartment that was cheaper than the gas exactly well that that was when i told my mom i was moving i was she's like why are you moving there i'm like rents 350 and no offense mom i love you to death but I wouldn't be living with you anymore and I'm 22. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, yeah, fair. So yeah. I like, yeah, go for it. Give it a shot. Uh, but my mom is a sweet, delightful woman. And like that, it was never like an issue. And I, I, it was, it was, I, I don't know why you I have to... 17 and, and had a job. I, I had a job since I was 15. Yeah. Uh, and I was washing dishes in a, in a back of a restaurant. And that's a whole other movie. Yeah. I was, you know, cleaning the men's wear area and the shoe department. That was pretty much my, like, my area of expertise at the time. I have to say for, for Toronto people who might be listening to this, and I guess for the also uh sort of an even greater step back with was this zellers in Foursquare mall by chance no and it was in hopedale mall uh which is in oakville uh also known as hopeless mall which mm-hmm. uh is uh to me maybe it's because i don't live in the suburbs anymore malls like that to me are such a unique thing because it's not a huge mall it is it is a single level mall there's no upper lower decks uh, there's your flagship big department store on the one end, a grocery store on the other end, and then a whole bunch of nameless whatever stores in between them. And like, you know, not a lot of chains, just like a Galleria type mall, which right. are nearly always full of old people from the morning till three and always full of teenagers from three till close. See, what's funny for this for me me referencing Foursquare Mall is a Mississauga reference, but it's essentially the same mall. It is essentially and the same. And in Winnipeg, when we were working in the same mall, it was Grant Park Mall, which is a very similar mall. In fact, uh, audience, if you want to look it up, 
Cal Kinane does a fantastic bit <laughs> about this mall. I believe it was on the album Life of the Party. I think so. I, I believe he did or it on Death of the Party. He did it on uh, no Death of the Party was I could get into that. He's, I'm a big fan. Uh, he, he he did a a set on I believe one of the Nerdist podcasts where he talks about it because he had just spent two straight weeks in Winnipeg at the comedy yeah. condo for the comedy club, which is across the street from it. And if you don't know Winnipeg, and that's your only frame of reference, it's the only thing you see is that mall. And yeah, that yeah. that mall plays plays a factor in the story, I think, as well too that I'm telling. Exactly, and also just for fans of like really shitty malls, check it out. Oh yeah, get in there. There is if you like old Italian men with chain jewelry, just not even mall walking, but shuffling. Mm. They keep tr- mm. they keep renovating it, but it still looks like it's 1988 in there. <laughs> like the, that makes me so happy. Kind of does, doesn't it? Like I I I am nostalgic for that aesthetic, and I don't think it's anything other than it's what I grew up with. But it's it's vaguely soothing to me. Like there's these there's this YouTube channel, uh, where it's this guy who's this audio editor, and he 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 put up he puts up videos of just music edited to sound like it's playing in an empty mall so it's just you you load the video and the visual is just an empty mall and then it's toto's africa super distorted and distended so it's like like you can barely hear it but i'm like this is triggering something in my head that will never leave which is just like this is pan flute music pan flute music is not acknowledged as a dominant mall walking uh soundtrack like Uh, i remember specifically there was a man that did destiny's child i'm a survivor on the pan flute but he did all of the parts and like if you love like speed uh instrumentation if you love like the ace of spades or something like that <laughs> listen to this guy do every part of like how did he he had no no pause for breath he's a master it's a master it's like that is not music that i would typically listen to in my day-to-day but it's something that if it does just strike me at a certain moment it it brings back uh like not even necessarily happy memories but a very specific point in time a very specific emotion is 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 levied with those kinds of things you can just say trauma this is this i could say trauma all right fine not even like is boredom trauma a thing is <laughs> is is uh is uncertainty <laughs> trauma a thing because that's mostly what those years were is ennui uh can, can ennui be triggered <laughs> is ennui a mood disorder kind of uh but okay so anyway uh establishing the day i also have to ask in this context is zeller's about to close yet no zeller in 2003 zeller's is still going strong uh i don't think zeller's close until about 2010 or 2011 something somewhere around there uh yeah it kept going for a while okay uh yeah at the time it, it just it just it it was what it was. Like I was just gonna ask yeah. because I uh, I worked at HMV right like months before it closed, and there's a vibe. There's like rats on a sinking ship. You know when they're just salvaging everything for parts. Uh, to, I try to explain it this way: is like we've all been to Walmart. Walmart's nothing special. 
But if you think of Walmart having the attitude it has as a business, like, we're Walmart, we're huge, we are the ubiquitous whatever. Zeller's was like the dollar store Walmart. It was a, li- it was a, it was a tier lower, but it was self-aware enough to be like, yeah, things aren't that great here. Things aren't that nice. They're, they are what they are. It's just, it is what it is. It, like, it, it was a very defeatist store. It never aimed very high. It never really strived to compete with bigger name stores. Like we would get runoff, you know, old season fashions from the Bay or other things like that. But they were like seven or eight years out of vogue. We we would have damaged product. We would have like big long aisles of clearance items. Uh, you know, even our like, you know. Uh, computer section or, or electronic section like things were pretty cheap like you would never go there to get the best of anything and they never which is a to great be. place for teenagers to work because you're like oh damn the man and zellers is like we're only kind of a man we're barely so the man it's this nice compromise yeah 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 whereas hmv for me was just like yeah damn the man and hmv is like Yes. Also, damn this man that you speak of. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> Sorry, HMV. I, I, I don't really miss you. <laughs> I mean, I, I like. They shot themselves in the foot. They, yeah, they, they, they didn't. They, they held too long and fast to the ideas. Like people will still like CDs. I'm like, eh. <laughs> I wonder if any relatively young person is listening to this. And it's just like 15, 60, and you're just like, why are they describing these jobs that don't exist anymore? Uh, because you need to understand, youngin, that there was a time. <laughs> well, well, no, I mean, like, there's still context for, for a lot of these things. Like, like I, I, I have, in just researching a little bit about, like, what's going on currently with our world and everything like that, just current political climates, I'm developing a greater appreciation for Gen Z, Zoomers, or whatever, because I'm like... Okay, they have cruddy jobs too. They're just new cruddy jobs. So I think yeah. we can all appreciate the just being young, having a job, feeling your first tinges of responsibility and realizing, yeah, this is this sucks, but it's a necessary. It's a necessary evil. Now, are they part of big chain stores and doing all these things i'm not really sure when i go to like you know the apple store or best buy now it's like it's mostly like you know mid-20s people like when i try and think of like where i see young 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 people working these days it's like the service industry and that's completely the same in a lot of ways and i just i but i just know that there's kids working at those places that feel a lot of the same things i feel which is there's only a certain type of place that will hire you when you have no job experience exactly and it's there's no way it's not going to be uh crappy dangerous exploitative like i worked for home depot for a long time and just the fact that every day i could have nearly died yeah but like yeah zellers hired me i believe when i was 15 uh and the, the reason I was hired at 15 is because that job wasn't really necessary. It wasn't necessary to be good at it, to do it, because they just needed bodies. We need someone in the menswear and shoe section all the time to just walk around, clean things, and answer questions. That was my job. 
just be present, be there, fix anything that's out of place, and do that. And theoretically, like, look out for shoplifters, but I'm 15, what the hell am I going to do? Maybe See, already as a movie, this is a great story, because we're hitting the target demographic Mm -hmm. of, like, depressed teenagers, and because it's in a mall, the, the movie pays for itself. It's all product placement. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, add it to, to get a get back to, like, the day itself. Like, what, what instigated it. So, my shift, I believe... Hey, I, don't you host this show for me. Well, hey, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> get along here to, like, the actual, like, inciting incident of the story. We haven't even gotten there. We've talked about Zellers. So, JD, let's, let's get back to the actual day. Oh, thank you, Andrew. All right, here we go. Son of a... Anyway, uh, so uh, my shift starts at 5. The anger is chemistry. Exactly. <laughs> um, my shift starts at 5, and I will be working from 5 till 9, uh, and so I'm leaving the house at 4. So as I'm getting ready to leave the house, the power goes out in my apartment. And I'm currently living with my mom and my older brother at the time. And... I'm like, oh, that's weird. The power went out, but I'm literally like out the door. I'm like, okay, well, if anything's weird, like, let me know. I'm going to go. I'm walking to the bus and I'm sort of noticing that uh, the stop, the stoplight near the, the bus stop is also out. And like, that's bizarre. And you know, the bus is actually a little bit late. I'm riding on the bus on the way there. I'm just listening to music. I'm oblivious to what's going on. And I realize, oh, traffic's really backed up. Oh, every street light is out. So, like... You ominous music. Yeah, this is the only... (laughs) This would theoretically be the only part of the movie with actual suspense. Because I know some people are like, oh, like a blackout's, you know, not fun. You know, you get trapped in an elevator, people on respirators, yada, yada. I shouldn't yada, yada that, but truly, yada, yada. Like, I... That wasn't what anyone was really worried about. It was mostly the inconvenience of it at the start, because you don't know how long these things are going to last. We realize the politics of the day, but this is just a movie that takes place in the suburbs. And uh, uh, as Jonathan Windham uh, said, it's kind of a middle-class apocalypse that's happening. Very much so, yes. So I'm still not quite assessing entirely what's going on, but I I put two and two together. Like, power went out in my house, all the streetlights are out. There might be a blackout going on, but I'm on my way to work anyway, so we'll see what happens. I walk into Zeller's, and it's everything's everything's black. Everything's out. I show up to the door, and the doors are locked. And then uh, I'm let in by one of the staff members, and they're like, "What's what's up?" And I'm like, "Well, you tell me. Like, I'm just here to start my shift. Like, what's going on?" And they're like, "Pretty sure there's a blackout." Uh, and they they and again, these are all people who were just working there that hour. They just thought the mall had blacked out. I was like, and I'm the first person from the outside world to be like, no, nah, my apartment blacked out and all the streetlights are out. And then people are, some people, including uh, Tim, my friend, uh, put batteries in a radio and we were able to get some radio signal and we're figuring out, oh yeah, it's a blackout. And that we, all we know is it's at least gone to Toronto because we're getting Toronto radio stations. So we're thinking, okay, there's like a small blackout on this scale. We had no idea what the scale of it was. Um, so now... I'm at a, at my work with no work to do. All the customers have left and it's just the staff mm-hmm. there and more 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 than not it's like 
people like me just showing up for shifts or people who are about to leave their shifts. That's about when the shift change happens. So people are trying to organize rides, figuring things out. And what I like about the mundaneness of this is you're right. It has the suspense of like war of the worlds. Like you're waiting for something to happen, but the true horror is that nothing happens. Like it is waiting for Godot. It's an existential suspense. Right right now it's the beginning of the mist. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, things are going to go real bad real fast. Uh, oh, you're about to face demons. Oh, yes. Inner demons. Inner demons. Uh, but what actually happens is uh, since so many of us are young people who have to wait for rides and we don't really know exactly what to do just yet uh, because we're like, well we could stay here and wait this out a little bit. Maybe it's only going to be a few minutes. Maybe going home is pointless. Maybe we're going to reopen again. Uh, so we're like, well, let's just sit tight here for a little while. We're in a department store. It doesn't really matter. So a bunch of my friends who work there and just other staff members, we kind of just go over to like the houseware section and we grab a bunch of chairs. And then a couple of us grab office chairs and we just sort of like sit around and talk and wait it out. Uh, then it dawns on a few of us, hey, we're Office in an, a closed, blacked out Zellers. Oh. There's no lights on except for like some security lights, which are just basically very small ones just illuminating a few things. But it's very, very dark in there. It's about 5 p.m. in the middle of summertime, so there's still a lot of sunlight coming in from the main door. So it's not pitch black. It's just dark in the store. Uh, we realize, hey... We are teenagers in an empty, closed-out mall. We've never been in here like this before. Uh, we just start whipping each other down the aisles in office chairs. <laughs> we're, we're idiot kids, uh, and we didn't care. We, we weren't doing anything so reckless we were going to get fired. We were just like, wh what? who cares? Who really cares? There's no, like, yeah, our boss is here, our supervisors are here, and all they well, can I do... I was just about to ask, like, didn't you have a boss? Yes, uh, but our bosses knew that we were teenage shit heels anyway. But we were decent kids; like we weren't, we weren't bad people. Uh, like if we had done anything worth being fired for, we'd have been fired. But what we were just basically doing is just, you know, blowing off steam, getting off, uh, getting out the, you know, weird feeling of the moment of being like, hey, it's not so bad. All that's really happened is the lights are off, and like. We have nothing to do, and we have time to kill, and we have an empty, gigantic, large lane, smooth back, uh, smooth floored area, and office chairs. So we start doing that. We're not hitting anything. We're not doing anything. We're just kind of like racing and like spinning people around and throwing them and like you know Superman laying on them and like flying out and interpretive dance with chair. Kinda. Finally, a hybrid. <laughs> Kinda. So your was your boss very much a I remember being like he is still one of you. He is just an old one of you. I kind of I kind of got that vibe from some of my supervisors. Like it was very like because it it was it was very much a this is a, a a bit of an unprecedented situation. You can kind of do what you please. Also in the back of his mind being like if you break something you're buying it. Like it's like other than that what what can I like if you were to do this when the store was open yeah you're fired but it's definitely did not. that comfort you a little or was it like a, a a constant like a timer ticking down your head like i have to get out of this job before i'm them i have to get out of this job oh that was every other day 
this day no <laughs> uh because that's that's a feeling i felt at a lot of jobs where i see people who have been there for life uh who it becomes it that becomes your identity and you either elected to have that happen to you or it just happened to you and it always scared me more to see the people who uh elected to make that choice like you can fall into any kind of position in a job and kind of be stuck in a rut but if it's circumstances outside your control you can you could be like i have to support my family i have to support yada yada like i this place needs me whatever uh but some people right. just... not shaming those managers no absolutely, just, absolutely yeah. not uh, but it's. I also have to ask, as long as we're talking about shitty first jobs, like I worked in a kitchen, uh, I worked in a record store, uh, it, it, there's a drug culture, dare I say, an even hard drug culture going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder what a, a Zeller's Walmart Kmart scenario is like. Ugh. In that kind of scenario, uh, there wasn't an extreme one that I that I could recall. I I w I wasn't really. Um, Oakville allegedly had a big cocaine problem, but I wasn't cool enough to be part of it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really know. Like I had friends who drank, and I had friends who did like the odd other thing here and there. But like in Zellers, no, nah, we were all like it was either teenagers uh who have jobs at a department store which requires a moderate amount of responsibility not a ton but a moderate amount uh elderly people and uh mid-30s uh i'm still cool managers you know just okay. so if if there was something going on uh, it wasn't really prevalent to me which you know, makes it even more boring <laughs> yeah yeah that's the true horror of the moment. Really? Now, it, it, in this, I also have to ask, is the mall shut down? Or are there people, like regular people, still wandering the mall anyway? Uh, not customers, no. Uh, they At that point, they had all either left or like been asked to leave. Like No one's really hunkering down. But there are still people who work in the mall in the mall. Like people who run the stores and stuff. And for the most part, they've just, like, shuttered, shuttered their doors and, you know, trying to get in touch with people and all that and sort of figuring things out. But the thing is, is that it's very, like, I would equate it a little bit to Dawn of the Dead, where it's like, well, like, where do we go? What do we do? It's like, let's go to the mall. It's like, why? It's like, it's a big open area and we have all the things we need in a, in a crisis and we can barricade it and yada yada. Now, it wasn't any necessary to be barricaded, but, like, if you're going to be anywhere in a blackout, a mall is not necessarily the worst place to be. Like you have people around you, you have you have a wide open area. Like it's like, okay, I could be here or I could be on the roads with no traffic lights, or I could be in my own home alone, not really knowing what to do and what to what to figure out in that regard. So at the very least, at the beginning I of it relate to this scenario. Yeah, at the very beginning, it's at the very least it's like, you know what, if I had to be anywhere right now, I'm kinda glad I'm here. A little bit. And it's the first time I'd ever felt that in Zellers. Now, let me know if I'm jumping the gun on this, but the Lord of the Flies element, <laughs> because A, within Zellers itself, there's got to be a pecking order. But B, if we're talking about a mall, and we're talking about mall workers, 
every kiosk, every store is its own little tribe. Yes. So in my mind, this is when the warriors breaks out, and they're just like, we have to protect the store from the bay, or Radio Shack. Uh, there, there was no... Uh... Uh, insurrections or <laughs> or mutinies going on afoot. Like the, again, this is one of those malls where it's like, yeah, I think we had a Radio Shack or a Source or whatever it was at the time, but we really had no other like name stores. Like there was like a rug store that was basically just like the rug store, and it was just like a guy in a in a unit of a mall with just like a big stack of rugs and that was a store and we didn't know any that american could... listening right now is like man what a socialist nightmare canada is <laughs> if it's just the rug store all right comrade everyone's <laughs> lining up for rugs hey you need a rug you go to the rug store and we never went in there we never talked to that guy i never needed to buy a rug so i didn't really know anything about that guy uh but it it it, it was just it wasn't called anything fun like hassle or tassels and no hassles it, it was actually called baktar rugs because i believe the dude's name was baktar <laughs> oh other than that hey maybe it was maybe that was just the name of the store i don't know <laughs> like i don't even think we had a subway at the time yet like we we didn't even have like chain food things like it was it was pretty pretty low on the pecking order in that regard okay. uh but so now it's been a few hours, and so we're realizing, like, okay, this isn't, like, a temporary, like, uh, it's off for an hour, on for an hour thing. It's like, this might be something a little bit more serious, and also they're listening to the radio, and they're seeing how far it's it's going, and how far it's spreading, and we're hearing rumors as, like, oh, it's, like, the whole east coast of, of like, North America, yada yada, all this other stuff. So we're like, oh, okay, this seems like a, this seems like a thing. So then... All, like, the managers and everything are like, alright, uh, no one has to leave, but, like, we're gonna, we're closed for the day. Like, if you want to stay for a little bit and wait at a ride or do whatever you have to do, do that. But, like, we're closed, you should make, you should make your way out. And go, basically go home and try and get, and people trying to arrange, you know, rides for each other, trying to get home somewhere safe. And then, uh, it occurs to me, and it occurs to a few other people, okay, so this is everywhere. This is all stores. And I'm a teenager, and now this is genuinely a thought a six-year-old would have, but I'm 17, and I have this thought. Ice cream. All of the places that have freezers, all of the ice cream and popsicles are melting. Right now. They are all doing that. So, uh... I'm gonna pause you for two seconds to just say... It, it hates me to say this about a corporation, but that is cool that Zellers was just chill enough to let it close because while I was working at Home Depot, mm-hmm. I was working there in a day when there was a tornado warning and there was literally a tornado coming slowly towards <laughs> us in the background and they refused to close the store. And I'm 16 and I'm like, well, I'm afraid of my manager, but also I'm working in a warehouse full of saws <laughs> and a tornado is slowly moving towards us. Like you really learn how much they care about you. And also like, that would be a pretty good movie too. That, as that, that as, long as I'm just thinking about it. Well, Andrew, I just have to say one thing. So if we, <laughs> I just have to say All one right. thing, Home Depot, you know what it is still open. 
Zellers closed. Yeah. And you want to know why? <laughs> Capitalism. That's why. Um, they cared yeah. about their employees and I they mean, suffered for it. Say what you want about the board bourgeoisie. They have an iron grip. They certainly like, do. They worked really hard. They certainly, certainly <laughs> do. Uh, now they, and then they also just, just from like a metaphor perspective, like as this is a coming of age movie and like uh, you in the coming of age, you're passing a threshold. There's a, a part of you that's dying. Your childhood is dying. <laughs> and you're literally having the last syrup. You're having a biblical last supper of ice cream right now. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, of, just the, of just the notion of like, okay, like, I was prepared to begin this day just doing another shift at my boring job and settling into a one of thousands of forgettable evenings at this job and i was comfortable with that now it's completely different now it's something i've never experienced before no one's ever experienced before but you have a frame of reference for it you have a thought of like oh if something like this were to happen what would be the fun what would be the fun elements of it what could be the things you do that would actually you can do and and you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. The no. giant bin of rubber balls yeah. and, is and, my first thought. And not in, like, a The Purge-type way. Like, again, our first impulse was, like, office chair racing. Like, we're not, like, we weren't going to riot. We weren't going to do anything stupid. We weren't going to, like, go, think, like, there's no repercussions for our actions. We're just thinking, like, okay, like, all right, it's a free day. It's a free day now. Like, there's there's nothing you can do. Throw up your arms and be like, all right, we accept the reality of this situation. What can we do? So, like... So if you as a group uh, are setting a goal in this moment, if you're having the, oh my god, <laughs> you're realizing what's about to happen, are you setting a goal? Or is it everyone's going off on their own missions? And then also, if you had to break this down into a team of sorts, or like a breakfast club scenario, like where are you in this mm -hmm. uh also who's playing you in this movie ideally oh god uh i i thought about that and i'm like finn wolfhard from stranger things but i'm like he doesn't look anything like i look uh, unfortunately oh, no one cares about that no exactly well then him i guess uh yeah. <laughs> he might even be too old actually now that i think about it now but, but he's also from toronto that's true that is true so hey he would understand actually he would have he wouldn't have been born when it happened he might have been born no. the day it happened. <gasps> uh, anyway. <laughs> but his parents could tell him. He, uh... uh yeah, look... Well, Matt, thing... my producer, if that... If you look that up right now and that's true, I give you full permission to interrupt the podcast and just, like, update us If all he was born on August 14th, 2003, he was a blackout baby. <laughs> yeah. That's what his parents did. That's how they coped. Hey guys, sorry. It's Matt here. Finn was born December 23rd, 2002. Not a blackout baby. Good try, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know what? Uh, the thing is, is that, like, I feel like that's... Even though it doesn't necessarily make uh, for interesting narrative at this juncture, because I know you're saying a team and all that, uh, I think it's more true to my actual story. I, I broke off alone at that point. Everyone kind of made their own choices. I'm like, oh, no, I, I kind of want to do this. Uh, I kind of want to explore this alone. And for for some for some context and reference here, uh, 
uh, this is very you. This is very me. Uh, I am a very uh, like I am a performer, and I I I you know odd sense of humor and odd sensibilities and things like that. But I am very much a private person. I'm an introverted person, and I'm a private person in a lot of ways. Like more like I've lived on my own since. 2012 and i'm probably never gonna have another roommate ever again and a uh, fun little uh jd fun fact uh i'm asexual uh i came out as asexual in what? Uh, uh, <laughs> i came out as asexual eat um, your heart out todd glass anyone uh oh yeah that yeah oh boy earth shattering news from me oh look oh boy look what i don't do um it's uh I came out when I was 30, but I've, I've, the more I've realized it, it's been a part of my personality all the way through, all the way through my entire life. And including at this time as well, too. Uh, never had active pursuits of a girlfriend, never really had much of any of those things. Like went on to lose my virginity and have a series of relationships and stuff, but never really focused on them in any kind of serious manner. But the main thing that I realized was where I was comfortable with it is being like, I've always been a explore crap on your own type of person and never thought that was wrong. Never thought that was abnormal and never felt the pressure to have acceptance in that way, not, not, not that I denied it entirely as like misanthropic and bleak, just being like, I, I enjoy discovering things personally on my own. Well, and, and even if for context, if I were to characterize you as characters, like as a performer, you, you are a comedian, but I put you in more of like a Tom Waits category, like leave him alone in a, a barn with some drums. He'll figure or, it out. He'll figure it out and, on his own. He'll come and, out. He'll come and, out and show us what he's made when he's ready. Yeah. And I, I'm, I, I know I'm not putting words in your mouth, but this like soloness and and hermitude that you have is not a sad thing. For for context, I would put you in a Obi Wan Kenobi kind of a light. <laughs> that and see, that's the thing too is that. I've wrestled with that for a long time, questioning whether I thought it was sad, which is an interesting thing to try and explain to people being like, because people always assume that like a lonely person is, is sad or is conflicted or is, or the things that they're conflicted about are, is being alone. And and that is what they're trying to overcome or that they're, or that they wish they could connect with people and do all these things. Like, I know how to connect with people. I don't dislike connecting with people. I just find a lot of satisfaction on my own, perhaps, and I, and I realize far more than most. And that's all that necessarily was, is I have far more, you know, I, I find far more joy being alone for long stretches of time than I know some other people do. And, you know, I don't want to... I find it very crass when some people have been like, oh, quarantine's been great for me. It's not supposed to be fun. Uh, it's a it's a bad time, and you don't want to rub that in anyone's face. But quite honestly... Right. But quite honestly... I yeah. have certain thriving things because I have mental illness, sure. and this is very convenient <laughs> for me. Yeah, you get uh, you get some private time to work on things. and But, uh, like, but extroverted people I know are having a, a terrible time. Uh, people who need interaction with others people who need physical contact with people i fully get that and i respect that so much uh but i can i also just say like being a codependent person Mm. in this scenario and 
knowing that I literally can't be uh, beholden to anyone else but myself in this moment, like I can't leave, is actually weirdly freeing. And especially as someone who I, I'm not a hermit, I would, I'm like an introverted extrovert, I still seek out people, mm-hmm. but the crazy boundaries I put up once I have those people, I'm like, hello, I love you, but don't get close. Yeah. Like this. <laughs> yeah, see, like that, and that I have, you know, great empathy for because I, I know many, like, I'm a comedian. That's most of you. That's most of us, is this feeling of like, I need uh, some attention and some validation but I don't want to really open up to people to a degree that I'm not comfortable with. And I, I, it's this weird feeling of like, we picked an artistic medium where we have one-sided conversations every single night and we are applauded for it. Like that is, that is in its core, a feeling of wanting to connect. That's in in the most direct way. I've always said that Stand-up comedy is, uh, I don't understand why every single writer in the world doesn't do it. It's the easiest way to get your writing to an audience as quick to as you can. To find your own voice to... and perspective before you write anything else. Yeah, and, and it, I think a lot of writers don't do it because there's the risk of immediate embarrassment and failure. But uh, I think you would you'd benefit from experiencing that uh, at least a couple times to channel and in, in, into writing but to, yeah you just just walk off stage and go like this is core shame yeah that's neat i've never i could imagine this but now i actually know it it's nice oh this is terrible i'm gonna make a poem about it <laughs> i can use that uh but for me like the thing was that when when you get when you when you came to me with this with this premise and this this pitch for this show and like me thinking of like well what kind of story would i want to tell that would be narratively interesting means something to me and is a story that i don't think gets told uh it's very difficult to explain but it's part of the reason why i talk about asexuality in stand-up which is yeah but i don't find it abnormal i find a lot of the things that i've been through you know impactful and interesting versus the fact that i know other people would find them mind-numbingly boring uh, 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 alienating, uh, uh, very difficult, something they wouldn't want to experience. Like, it, this is theoretically... A, and it's a... never really been portrayed. I mean, there's Todd on, on BoJack Horseman and um, uh, Jughead in certain in- iterations of the Archie uh, comics. I, I will I will actually... Not Riverdale. Like No. <laughs> Jughead and Riverdale, he can get it. Like, he's, I, I, he's got a motorcycle. I want to I wanna actually say this out loud uh, so that maybe someone will hear it and, and tell him this. I want to give a personal thank you to uh, the comic writer Chip Zdarsky. Uh, because quite honestly, I had been... I had been coming to terms for a long time with coming out as asexual and and admitting that and saying that out loud. The main reason I didn't do it is because I didn't think it would really impact my life to do it or that people would even care or that it would require a lot of explanation and I didn't really want to deal with that. And the main reason I didn't do it for the longest time is it was very, it was, it's very difficult to explain that you have or you are something or have something or experience something unless you can point to a character in pop culture and say like them 
it's very important to do that like ellen did that for for gay people like a lot of other like like caitlin jenner did that for a lot of trans people like you you might think of it as trite that it's like that's what matters to people and that's what would actually spur it but it's true it's just it's not necessarily oh you gave me the confidence to do it it's you gave me the ability to say to another person Oh, like this person you know, like this person you understand, like this person you get. And because Chip Zdarsky, most people don't have a vernacular, or, and or they you don't have, have a, to explain to them on their terms, or they don't have a placement for it in their own lives and in their own experiences, or or in a way that you can just say it's like, oh, like, oh, like that person that I know and is fine, like that normal person I know, great. And Chip Zdarsky is the writer who canonically made Jughead in the Archie comics asexual. And it was a very beautiful way in which it's done. I have this comic. I, I specifically bought it. Uh, where it's just a conversation he's having with another character. And the other character is gay. And he's talking about his problems with relationships. And he, that character's offhand is like, yeah, but you're asexual. Like, this doesn't matter to you. And Jughead goes like, yeah, and just rolls with it. Like, it's not the focal point of an issue. It doesn't have to be anything. It's just like, yeah, it is what it is. And the matter-of-factness of him just his friends saying that to him and him being like, yeah, I'm like, that's the way I wanted to do it. That's how mm -hmm. I wanted it to come out. That's how I want people to react to me and react to an asexual person is being like, yeah, that's fine. That's normal. We're friends. Let's move on. I understand you. And you, we have different struggles, but you don't understand my struggle, but I understand you have yours of your own. And I, I'd heard other stories and I knew of other people, but I couldn't place it in a specific way. And the simple way in which it was stated meant so much to me that it gave me the courage to actually do it. So hats off to you, Chip Zdarsky, for that side tangent. I wanted to put that out there. Um, but yeah, but for me, this like to me, this isn't even necessarily a story of me coming to terms with that. It's just an, an indicative moment of me feeling like okay i have an entire evening to myself in what is essentially a mini crisis like in a in a moment where everyone i think for the most part was trying to connect with people and stick with people and be with the people that mattered to them the most i checked in with the people that mattered to me the most and then i went out and i had a little bit of like a a late night adventure of sorts privately right now just for context of the film are, are you saying you actually realized this about yourself on this night? Or, for the sake of representation, you're going to put the character in that scenario in the film? I feel like a juxtaposition in this, in this, in this world would help. Like, I feel like seeing a lot of my friends who had girlfriends and boyfriends immediately go to their girlfriends and boyfriends would be something i i'm certain that that night that there were like you know teenagers and young people like hooking up in cars and parking lots and like going to dark like having sex in places they wouldn't have been able to have sex in that was their immediate and that's something thought. i really want to see in this yeah is is almost the uh willful diversion of the tropes that would happen in this type of like i i want a a, a, a old genders to try seducing you at some point and it's so quickly like uh uh just 
brushed off and d- truly doesn't matter yeah, it, it's, and, it's it's not even it, it never entered into my mind it never crossed my mind like because it like I, I i said to you like pitching this in the in the same spirit of like day in the life movies like dazed and confused or after hours or to another extent you know not as great a movie but good and i really love can't that hardly wait. your it <laughs> says so much about you that like a true representation of of a film of one regular night is After Hours. (laughs) Speaking of which, if you haven't seen After Hours, go for it. I'll go so far as to say maybe Martin Scorsese's best movie. Fight me. Uh, But, uh, yeah. That's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other podcast. Separate notes on that alone. We'll, we'll, we could debate that on some other day. I would just say uh, movies that uh, I could rewatch that I have uh, very little, if any, notes for. After Hours is one of them. So if you if you grade it as I got no problems with this movie, one of the movies I have the least problems with Martin Scorsese. But anywho, uh, that's true. Actually, if you think of it that uh, way, if you think of it that way. <laughs> so okay, in in what way or do we address it at all? And I'm going to preface this with I have a scenario mm-hmm. for you. In what in in what scenario do you come out in the movie? Because right now you've just prefaced this like so we're all eating ice cream before it goes bad, and I just imagine you all in front of the vending machine or wherever, and there's like JD, you have six options of ice cream. What type of ice cream are you interested in? And you like pick like I'm gonna go with the Revelo, and as soon as you bite in, you were like. Oh my god, I'm asexual. I'm asexual <laughs> like this fudgio bar. Like, at that time, I'm not even sure the term was even a thing. It may, it may have been, but all I all I knew is that it was like, that's that's other people's problem. Like, I, I just always thought like, okay, everyone's falling over themselves, their hormones are raging like crazy. Like, I'm I'm very much like, yeah, I, I guess I like girls, whatever. I don't really care. Like, I, but I was like, it's it was never my focal point of of my life. And like, if you're if you're if you're doing a movie about teenagers in a scenario where all of a sudden rules are lifted and shit goes wild and crazy, your immediate first thought is love stories and narratives. You you brought up Riverdale. Excellent point. Excellent thing to bring up because I'm very much like yes. When people ask, is like asexuals like yeah, like Jughead, and people be like yeah, but on Riverdale, like yes, I understand. Asexuals are not great characters for teen sex dramas. We don't really. (laughs) We're very difficult to write for. We're very difficult to to have in that environment if we're not even romantically entangled with people. Well, it It, weirdly makes you like a Christ figure in a weird way. And I mean that in the biblical movie style mm. where like Max von Sydow is Jesus. Or I'm just like, yeah, a pale blue eyed person in the middle of the desert. Like the fact that uh, the idea that Jesus isn't tempted with lust at all is almost makes him like an alien being of like higher enlightenment throughout the the whole movie. We are essentially uh, portrayed as magical characters. And if we are ever portrayed explicitly as asexual at all, we are uh, like, like kind of like Jughead. Jughead is just like in the comics is very much just like a free floating semi agent of chaos. 
it doesn't really exist. And it's, it's, uh, which is a perfect example, actually, embodiment of you it, it, <laughs> talking about you as a character. You're a trickster god. Mm -hmm. You're a Nancy or Loki. Like you show the hypocrisy of the other gods. And this is kind of why this was kind of one of the nights that I knew I was that and decided to be that further and explore that further and realize that that is a, a no, uh, I mean, not necessarily a noble life, but it's the life I want and the life I know I can have. Uh, because I'm like, okay, I'm presented with basically an open-ended sandbox world to explore now. The sun is starting to set. Soon it will be dark. Soon it will be very dark. Now, what can I do? Am I going to go home and, and just, like, read by candlelight? Am I going to, you know, you know, try and find other people to hang out with? Am I going to, like steal or damage property no i am going to experience my town in a way i've never been able to before and may never be able to again right it's, it's almost buddhist in the idea that everything you do at this point now becomes a point of spiritual expression mm -hmm. like, and and i will even say when you came out to me or rather when we actually sat down and talked about it uh, which was a very brief thing. I hadn't come to terms with my mental illness stuff mm. and the fact that I have tons of, uh, not addiction, but compulsion issues. Sure. And, like, and this is very narrow-minded, but I will admit that this was my uh, my mindset. When you told me that, that this whole realm of compulsion uh, that most people had that you didn't i just went in my head it was just like that sounds awesome <laughs> like if you just didn't care about alcohol or drugs or sex like well well for me it's it's the thing of like th there's the double-edged sword of that of being like okay you can accept that you don't care about these things but then like i didn't come out for like 13 years after that and even still from there on like to this day i'm still like you know curious about certain ways that i interact with people and and my involvement in people's lives the thing is is that like you you realize like okay i don't have these you know addictive personalities in some ways i may in others and then you you start thinking quite a lot about what like was the horse before the cart on this? Did I did I decide that I don't have this? Am I actually fighting something behind this? Like, I have a history of mental illness in my family going back generations. There's histories of alcohol and drug abuse in my family. And I I don't... And I very longly had to like, be like, am I just terrified of these things because I've seen what they've done to, to others in my family or others in my life? And had to fight with a lot of that. And then being like, oh no, am I am I just closing myself off to all these things? Am I closing myself off to being uh, near people or, or telling people about this in an effort to save myself off from pain? Which people do, people do do. And I'm like, I don't want oh, yeah. to have to. I'm, I, I I'm don't raising wanna... my hand that you can't see right now. Yeah. Because uh, it's, I know I'm addicted to abusive relationships on a molecular level. How exactly. do I still live in the material world? Exactly. And then, but then I realized like, oh, but there's things I did in my life that I don't think someone 
who is like fearful of that in a specific way would do like i don't think people i don't think it's very common for people to do things like i did like uh like having to apologize to someone for not making out with them or having to sit down and make a choice in high school of what girl you're going to say you have a crush on should you be asked if you have a crush on someone I don't think people have to go through those choices very often as much as someone who's coming to terms with their own asexuality would. Or coming to terms with, like, who they are as a person would. I could be, I could be wrong, but the more, I, the more times I bring up those scenarios to people who are like, no, that, I don't do that. So, like, okay, well, there may be a, a difference. Well, I'm a huge Joseph Campbell guy. Like, if we get into the, uh, the mythological standpoint, like you have a perspective and a knowledge that other people don't have. And usually once the hero gains that perspective, they, they have two choices. They bring the knowledge back to the mountain and show, or uh, back to the village and they show people a way of existing. Mm -hmm. But from that point, you're kind of part considered part God. So you either live among them in a hermit scenario, doling out guidance wherever you can, or you decide you can't live among the people normally and you kind of uh, ascend to Valhalla or insert mythos here. And and that's that's what I kind of wrestled with beyond this story. Me me thinking like, "Oh, like I what what I ended up doing for the rest of the evening was like biking or skating around my neighborhoods, like the various neighborhoods of Oakville, seeing what things looked like completely black." Like, I'd go down to, like, the lakeshore and look out at Toronto, which is normally completely lit up, and it's completely dark. Uh, you know, going around, like, the parking lots of, you know, grocery stores and department stores that would normally have, like, bright spotlights on. Pitch black, except for the sign of the grocery store, which was clearly, like, generator-powered, so the parking lot is lit up red. Like, it would really be a very vi visually interesting-looking movie in some ways, because it's it's a way you see suburban areas that you don't see with natural like just whatever light and the one uh and this whole time i'm like listening to like music that i love which i think at the time would have been like a lot of like you know dead kennedys and like then a lot of other you know hey, again you're you're hosting this through for me i was gonna say like if you had to pick a director for this is it like a Richard Linklater thing? Or do you want to give uh, Martin Scorsese a second shot at doing <laughs> something a little weirder? And like, also, you do DJ and you're you're specifically known for your taste in music. So I do want to know what's uh, happening it, there. Uh, some of the time that I, I, I know for sure would be playing would be a lot of Primus. Uh lot of um uh trying to think of like that specific time chemical brothers i was still into like a lot of like the early electronic music stuff like prodigy chemical brothers uh uh slow like orbital i'm, I'm learning a lot of music from my brother at this time uh so the avalanches uh like more aggressive stuff. I'm a 17-year-old boy, but at this point, I was done with new metal. I was done with a lot of that stuff, and I'm getting into, like, Mr. Bungle, Faith No More. Uh, I don't think I had quite discovered Ween yet, um, but, like, at that time, getting into, like, the more eclectic and eccentric alternative rock and electronic music type of stuff. 
Um, so there, more of that than anything else. And also, uh, every year a new Tony Hawk Pro Skater game would come out. My life was dictated by whatever soundtrack that happened to have. So I think that was I think that was Tony Hawk Four. Uh, so probably by that time I was already very much into like Ramones and Motorhead and like a lot of like the skate punk type of stuff from that too. So this would also very much be a a soundtrack movie, not a score movie. Uh, yes. Yeah. The, very the, much. Very much. And of that era too. Uh, probably specifically there. Uh, oh, uh, hi, the hives, the uh, strokes, like things like that, which were popular at the time. I also literally love that if you, and, and I don't know if we're jumping or not, hmm. but you literally took the trope of the breakfast club and then you just left. I just left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so people in the audience are like, what movie is this? Yeah. Imagine if Judd Nelson, like just straight up walked out. Which you're like, why didn't he in the first place? The more I think about it, if he's so the badass, why is he there? He could just like walk out, like he would have just gotten expelled. Who could? But it's like, yeah, you like this could have been enough. This could have been said Judd Nelson, and I thought, um, uh, uh, oh, which judge is it from Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Judge Reinhold. <laughs> Run, judge Reinhold. I was just like, you know what? I could have seen a solo movie of just what happened to his character on that day. He had yeah. a good arc. Yeah. So many judges. I, I was basically... Is it Ali Sheedy? <laughs> yeah, it is Yeah, Ali I'm Sheedy. basically the male Ali Sheedy. Sort of. <laughs> I wasn't quite... I wasn't quite goth. I wasn't quite punk. I was kind of a fucking weirdo. I didn't talk to many people. But I was generally a decent person. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> yeah. I've never called myself that before. And I don't know if that, that comparison holds water. But Did, did you whatever. have a moment at the end of the film where you, like, take get a haircut take off your glasses it just it's like oh he's suddenly beautiful and he still doesn't want to have sex no no uh, but uh but basically like the rest of that evening i'm i'm just sort of satellite biking and skating around my home and across from where i lived at the time was a baseball diamond and for reasons unbeknownst to me, the floodlights of this baseball diamond were on a timer and they would turn on every night at around like eight o'clock and be on all night long. And it was these huge, big spotlight uh, lights that shone directly into my bedroom window. So I had to have like blackout curtains because it would just sh like I it was never, ever dark in my room. It was never, ever dark on my street ever. It was always very bright and they were off. So I uh i had a sony handycam video like video camera and uh i walked out into the middle of that baseball diamond and it was the first and only time it was dark enough in that uh park ball diamond whatever or in oakville ever where if you look up you saw stars you could see actual like you could see stars because it was there was no light pollution and I must have laid in that field for probably, like, two hours, I think, from, like, midnight to 2 a.m., maybe wandering around here and there if I got, like, sore or wet or whatever, but I, I just, I, I, it was summertime, I was going back to school in, like, two weeks, uh, it was my last year of high school, and at that point, I knew that I didn't have any money saved up for college or university. I knew that it was very unlikely I was going to be moving out of the house because my mom still needed support. And that would 
that's just wasn't feasible. Uh, certain people in my life I knew in a like, and this isn't, it, it sounds like a graduation tale thing where it's like you get all emotional the day that you graduate because you think you're not going to see people ever again. I'm, I'm having this a year ahead of time reflecting on this stuff being like yeah i've got a year to kind of make some sort of a plan some sort of a thing that i can kind of well and and again not to like force the buddhist narrative it's just what i know is usually when people pass through these thresholds it's ego death you're letting go of a part of yourself that's a story mm. And you just seemed overly comfortable with it. Like, in this case, it would be passing out of childhood. Like, what am I if I'm not candy in comic books? <laughs> but well, you had a weird early perspective of yourself. You seem to have passed that already while still keeping the best parts of your youth. That's that's kind of the thought of the narrative of, the, of that story in particular, is that it begins with you know rolling around in an office chair and eating ice cream and then it kind of evolves into like quiet personal introspection about you know the next few years of my life and what are they going to be like because this was summertime like that's normally when like you just get all that out and do all that but i'm like yeah but i have a job and all this other stuff so i'm still wrestling with that at this specific time but also realizing that i'm starting to electively make decisions about how I'm going to pursue happiness that are very different from how other people do. And that even though I'm maybe not out, outward and vocal about it, I'm comfortable with it. I'm slowly accepting that and realizing that I'm still full of awkward teenage energy and like, you know, anxieties and things right, like you that. Still that's not, that's puberty, not... You still go through puberty. You still have zits and, and yeah, testosterone. I'm, I'm and... still... I am currently in the middle of going bald. Like, I have problems. Um, I am not... I have not in, in, uh, reached enlightenment in this evening. I have just... I am, I'm just in a field with right. a video camera seeing how good it can do low-light exposures and realizing that, oh, this camera is really bad with low-light exposures. I really wish I had a better camera. Uh, I really wish I knew how to use this stuff better. I'm looking forward to next year in, in uh, tech class, learning how to use editing. I'm thinking about that stuff where I'm like, yeah, but I can't afford film school. Well, I'm like, well, if you can't afford film school, maybe you should work at this job for a few more years and save up and just buy a better camera and then just use do that then because that's an attainable goal. That's a thing you can do. And it's what I did. I ended up working at Zeller's for like three more years to buy a $3,000 camera, which at the time was top of the line. Today, you couldn't sell on eBay for $100. Incidental. Um, but the technology, kids, it's a wonderful We're thing. old. Uh, we're old. Uh, I didn't even mini... mean for my voice to tremble when I said that. That's, <laughs> that scared me. Mini DV tapes, Zoomers. Look them up. Anyway. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. But... Uh, but th those were thoughts I was having, and it's not like it's the first time I'd ever like contemplated that. But it's the first time they're ever very solid and, and prescient in my mind, being like, "Yeah, I want to get better at this. I like doing this. I like explore. I like learning how to do this my way. I like, I like experimenting on my own. I like figuring these things out, and and figuring out that it's like, there's nothing wrong with that." 
I'm in a position where I can do that, so I shouldn't I, I, I shouldn't have fear of it necessarily. I have a support system of a mom who cares about me and loves me and, and will be with me in that way, so I'm not I I don't have that hardship to overcome. Well, I was gonna ask if I can if I can just interject here is mm -hmm. right now this is kind of turned into an art house film which is wicked oh yeah but there's not talking and 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 not as much narrative so i pose you some questions of like who would you be talking to in this scenario and then i realized that like we have to get into you did not necessarily relate to your your teen years in a way that most people did and, and I can identify with that somewhat, but uh, in that moment, like, who is, who's Obi-Wan Kenobi's Obi-Wan Kenobi? Who is the mentor? <laughs> who is the person that's really showing you a path, necessarily? The interesting thing is that for a kid like me in that environment at that time, I'd sort of created a series of people who I, who I idolize and look up to and it wasn't for the most part it was like you know otter you know artists and and people like that who just to me i had a i had a vision in my mind of what their lives were like like specific like like specifically like the musician mike Patton, uh very like of faith no more and mr bungle and uh runs uh ipecac records very amazing vocalist and just a weirdo and an oddball and had like a million weird avenues and projects uh and and found success and necessarily and, and not even necessarily the success is what i aspire to but just the idea of like he just does whatever the hell he wants that's really cool uh at that point i was very much like you know thoughts and opinions could be levied on the man but at the time i was very much into kevin smith and more more than anything the idea is like he made his first movie for like 25 grand and it sold right and i and i've seen it and it's not that bad <laughs> like you know things like things like oh and like punk rock musicians and like diy the like this is years before the idea of like you need like a thousand fans who will support you and you could have a career this is just the idea of like yeah like i don't need to like all i need to do is just stay the course with this stuff and and I, I'm realizing, yeah, if, if you have a work ethic and you're good at what you do and you're earnest and, and you believe in what you do, if a small enough number of people believe in you too, you'll be okay. And that was fine for me. So it wasn't necessarily one person. It was that ethos. It was that, it was that idea. And from a very early, from very early on, it was like, yeah, I'm not really a great, I'm not a good musician. Uh, I'm not like... Uh, I liked drama, but I didn't really consider myself a great actor. Uh, I'd always respected and admired stand-ups, and stand-up was definitively one of those avenues there. I already had, like, Pat Oswalt, uh, like, so many, like, this was, like, the beginning of, like, the alternative comedy wave of, like, comedians, re like, albums being more of a pr prevalent thing, David Cross, uh, people like that. Well, and also, uh, earlier I referenced you to uh, Tom Waits, but... Uh, another good example would have He's, been one Bob Log the Third, who you ended up making oh, a, yeah. a sort of fan music video for that he acknowledged and thought was cool. Well, well, today I could say that like that that is, if I had a if I had a 
a thing I could define myself as, it would be DIY oddballs. Those are my people in any stripe, in any way, and I, I, I yearn to find them. And Bob Log III, for those who don't know, is a musician. He's a one-man band. He plays a slide guitar. He has a drum machine, a, a kick power drum machine, a bass drum, and he wears a, like, evil Knievel onesie with a motorcycle helmet with a phone receiver glued to the front. So he's basically screaming into a phone on his helmet the whole time. You never see his face, and it's the loudest, funnest music you've ever heard in your life. Yeah, it's pretty and awesome. And it's fantastic. And... Like during quarantine, he's been doing this thing for where for a hundred dollars he'll write an original birthday song for you, and he's doing like two a day, and it's fantastic. Anyway, um, but guys, people like that, and and nowadays I I could I could rattle off people who inspire me today. To well, no in a end, way, but... you were my threshold for that. I was just like I like weird stuff, and you were like hold my beer. <laughs> and and see the thing is too is I I feel a, a minor bit of self consciousness with that in a way because. At that time, in the like into the aughts and the early like like 2010s and whatever, uh, a word you don't hear as often anymore, but which was very popular at the time, was hipsters, hipster mm -hmm. douchebags, and that was very much an idea of just like being an elitist dickhead who knows all the stuff that you that you don't know and is thinks he's cooler than you because he knows these weird things that you don't know about, and even in that avenue, which I knew a lot of those people, and I I. I worked in record stores and video stores and I, I developed that kind of persona in a way. I was an outcast of those people because I like the stuff. Kids, I like these I liked words the... up. It, record store. Yes. Sorry. Gr video like, store. It's Uncle Corner. Leave us alone. Uh, <laughs> Printing press. But, yes. But, but for me, it, it was always just the idea of like people, uh, it, I didn't care about the best or or the or the most like impactful or important. Like I I really don't I don't know much about like you know the Velvet Underground or Sonic Youth or Pavement. Like I know of all these things, but I'm not huge fans of of them necessarily. Like I like these I like Melt Banana. I like these weird bands from Japan that are just like crazy like 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 Bob Log the Third and and like all these like very like strange things of just these individuals who have very unique personas very small but rabid fan bases and and play in a in an environment that they create their kind of own universes around themselves that really only exists for them they're very insular people and very ins to, to me anyway they seem very insular people and insular creations uh but th they're not shut off from the the art community as a whole people people who know them like them people who know them respect them and by and large they're some of the nicest people you've met i've met bob log up there he is the sweetest man you've ever you've ever met and he's been incredibly kind to me by me just showing how, him how much of a, of a fan i am of his that like he's he's very supportive and, and of me and you know did interviews with me and and all this other stuff and just because he's a, an approachable person and that was something that i'm like okay i kind of want that i want to i want to be that type of person this is years before i would ever consider i'd be doing enough work that i could ever mentor anybody but i'm like but you can lay the groundwork for the the type of person you are and the type of work you do that you can be that for someone that maybe you would be that for someone right without like, necessarily influencing or um directly influencing them like uh 
Richard Pryor wouldn't exist without Dick Gregory. Whether they actually had coffee together or something is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You, we mentioned earlier Cal Kinane. Like, early on in, like, my comedy career when I'm, like, taking my inspiration from people I really respect and, and who I think are very funny and all that, and that I still enjoy... And then about a year or two into comedy, I discover Kyle Kinane. And at first, I'm I'm mad because he's a bearded guy talking about his anxiety and issues. And I'm like, that's my thing. But then I, uh, but then I realize, oh my god, he's hilarious. And this is and I I'm he's quickly becoming one of my favorite comics. And then I find out he's going to be in town for two weeks. I'm like, I. I have to meet this man. I have to uh, like a. I have to meet him and and tell him I I enjoy his work and that I, I like him. But also, if I think he's the guy I think he is, he's not going to enjoy being in Winnipeg alone for two weeks. So I'm going yeah. to extend an olive branch and be like, hey, like I love I love your stuff. I think you're really hilarious. I'm a huge fan. Also, if you're bored and you want to hang out, I'm more than willing to hang out. You seem like a nice guy. He was and is, and he's one of the nicest comics I've ever had the privilege of getting to know a little bit. Oh, very and much so. He's such a nice guy, and that's the thing too of like, all I've had incredible fortune that a lot of the people I've been inspired by, who I who I model my life moderately after, and who I love and respect that I have met have been good people and been nice people. And make me and make me try to strive for a little bit of that in my own life. Well, in a local one that I think we both share, and I bring this up because I I, I hope to have him on the podcast I, very soon. I know soon. who you're going to say, Lee White. I, yeah, Lee White, of yeah, course. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Who's an amazing improviser who now lives in uh, Hamburg, Germany, but kind of tours Europe whenever he wants. But it was it was very much someone that you and I both looked up to. And the great thing about Lee was he didn't have an ego about it. In fact. He was just like, this is realistically how much money you're going to make. This is how you yeah. survive. If that still interests you, go for it. It's just very hard. Very practical, real advice. Like, like, and yeah, Lee, Lee was a, a massive inspiration and a guy I consider a friend that I, I think I've told him that too. Where I'm like, I, I don't necessarily want to model my life after yours, but I do admire your approach to your life, your a how you pursue your career and b how you've like had it commingle with your life because you seem to have a satisfaction with what you make how you make it and how you live and you might think that that's a no-brainer for entering into the arts but hey people who aren't in the arts some of it is killing us some of oh, us yeah, are letting, and, and the, some of us are letting the arts destroy like their lives to get the career that they think they they want and that they pursue and i i i've seen i've seen it happen to people to a degree that i'm like i i know how easily that could happen to anyone whether whether it's you know self-destructive behavior or not it's just the fact that like you might think you to to be as good as Hunter S. Thompson, you need to do the things he did. No, you certainly do not. Uh, or, or anyone. Charles Bukowski that drank that much so that I don't have to. Exactly. You can you can you can appreciate people who made mistakes and and be inspired by them, but know that, that the mistakes that they make, you don't have to repeat them to be as good as them or to like you're gonna make your own. You're going to make ones that they never even had to fathom. 
and like for people like Lee White, like I I may have an idealized we we both may have an idealized version of his life, but at the very least I've told him it's like you present a version of a comedian that I don't see very much that I immensely respect whether or not it's been a smooth ride or satisfying for you in every way I, the way you seem to approach it and the way you live your life to me is admirable and it's something that I would like and another example of this and this is a documentary but when I when I started thinking about it, like oh how would I want to do this uh, or present this story there's a documentary that I, I watch all the time. I've, I've probably rewatched this movie dozens of times. It's called Beauty is Embarrassing. Right, and the Pee Herman guy. Yes, uh, Wayne White uh, is an artist. He was uh, one of the original set and puppet designers for uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Uh, he became a music video director. He, di- he art directed and directed uh, uh, the Tonight Tonight Smashing Pumpkins video and stuff like that. Uh, and then went on to have a very successful career as a, a fine artist, like a visual artist. Uh, and this documentary is about his life, and I describe this movie as lifestyle porn. Like, you watch this, and you are just so enamored <laughs> with this man's life that you're just like, I want that so bad! You're just like, I, I look at, like, he has a loving family and a, and, a, and, a, and a wife who's also in the arts, and his children grew up to be in the arts, and they all have unique styles and voices, and he's made his mistakes, but he's learned from his mistakes, and he got to do things he wanted to do, and, you know, he, he had, he, he overworked himself because he thought that, that he could creative, he could use creativity to get out of his ruts but he realized that just makes it worse and you have to step back sometimes and reassess and i'm like oh my god i've experienced a lot of these things and i'm looking at a guy who seems to have a great uh awareness of his impact in his own creative in his own creative life like not just like oh my art took me to these things and i am beholden to my art in all ways it 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 made me who i am it's like no like you made your art and sometimes it it could turn it could turn you into a, against yourself it can make you think you have a it can make you think you are something that you're not it can make you think that you're better than you are or worse than you are but then if you really just assess it you you're a human being who makes art and that like that's that's who you are that shouldn't be scary that shouldn't be trying and i just watch that documentary and i'm just like god fucking damn it <laughs> it just and i mean it, not to get too deep yeah. but it's it's people who there's a difference between people who think i need to make art to discover who i am and there's people who are just like i'm already my art i make yeah. art just by being my i breathe it i can't not be me and and that's a realization that takes a lot of time to get to well for my own experience like I, at that time, I thought I could be a director when I was 17. So I'm like, or like, or like a writer director, like, you know, doing something like that. And so for many years, I, I worked on screen screenplays and trying to learn different camera techniques and all that. And then, you know, I didn't let a dream die. I let a dream evolve. I, I realized like, okay, I don't really like the scripts i'm writing i i i kind of dig it i i'm i'm finding my voice a little bit here but i'm i'm a little uncertain of this i really wish i could find a way to like because i was writing comedies and and dramas and different things like that and like i kind of want to try this in different ways and then years later i would try stand-up and i didn't think i was like okay now i'm a stand-up i'd be like 
no, I kind of like that stand-up gives me this ability to to get this out and try these different things. And then I started making comedy videos because I had those skills from years previous with all the other stuff. So There's I started doing that. different mediums that fit different expression and what you exactly. want to say. And also, so, I love the idea of we don't become different people. We just become more ourselves. It's Exactly. And and, and from, from there, it, it evolved beyond that to being like, well, you know, I'm getting stand-up time and I'm doing these things and I, I'm, I, I want to write story-type story bits and talk more about my own life, but, you know, I mean, five, ten minutes, that's, I can't really do that. Oh, there's this thing called the Fringe Festival. I can write my own show. So I'm doing hour-long shows about specific things, and, and it's not just me talking. I'm like, oh, and I have I can do whatever I want? Okay, cool, I'm going to bring in the video element right and i'm gonna and start drawing done that too like eddie izzard uh greg proops uh chris um uh, uh gethard uh yeah. oh I, i'm i'm not Dimitri i'm not talking Martin. about this absolutely i'm not talking about this like i've invented this idea many other people have realized oh this no i'm just saying well. that like that's a yeah. path that not a lot of people talk about dennis leary uh, mm. did that as well that's how he got his break exactly and like just realizing you're the thing, the things you had before you entered whatever medium you're in can be brought into it as well, and then start, you know, doing drawings and doing all these other things with that, and then realizing, yeah, I, I do enjoy this this type of storytelling and these types of things, uh, but I only get to do it really once a year, and I really do like the visual element of it all, and then starting to get really different feelings about comedy. And then as an outlet for that, simply as just a distraction from feeling kind of enamored with that, started working on visual art. And that evolved over the years into, that's actually straight up my actual job, is being a visual artist. And I still perform and make all these things, and I have other projects in the work, and it's none of them have gone away. They've mutated and morphed and grown with me. And... I've learned the skills along the way just simply due to my inquisitiveness of wanting to know how to do these things and learning them wrong, like learning them on my own without a lot of education, making a lot of mistakes and making a lot of things I'm, you know, not necessarily embarrassed to look at, but being like, whoa, I was, I was 19. I'm sorry. Like just being like, being like, okay, we all have learning curves, but then you're all, but then I, I know how to like f frame a shot. I know how to edit, uh, a scene to make it funnier i know how to i know how to draw you know a face to elicit a reaction i know how to tell a joke to elicit a certain response you know i know where to put a punchline i know the rule of threes i know like i'm i'm learning all these little basic tenets along the way and the exciting thing for me that like i'm 34 years old i've i've spent the last you know uh 17 years since that night deciding that's kind of how you're going to do it. You're going to just kind of go out alone and figure these things out minute by minute, in day by dark. day. In Kind of in the dark. Right? To, to, to <laughs> yeah. make a metaphor a reality in terms of the movie, I got to ask now, like, so when do the lights turn on? When, when does the audience go, okay, he's going to be okay. And you uh, almost uh, like believe... literally walk off into a sunset. At around, like, I, I stayed up all, like, as long into the night as I could. Uh, at around, I think, 4 o'clock in the morning, some streetlights started to come back on. It was still, it was still at night. And 
like I noticed some streetlights were coming back on and that like uh, certain parts were coming back on slowly but surely and at that point like this I think, actually it may have been a little later I think the sun was starting to rise so it wasn't obvious that like everything didn't just shut back on it wasn't like you know downtown tokyo we're talking about oakville it wasn't like if the power right. came back on it wasn't obvious it's not like i'm in that baseball diamond and Ooh. poof the lights come back on to, again to yes it's a cinematic moment sadly that's not what happened and, and the metaphor because at the end of ego death comes enlightenment mm -hmm. huh? i'm very sorry but this is a free podcast so i'm aware yeah. yes uh yeah th that's what i thought too is i was like Yes, this is a very art housey, introspective thing. I thought maybe there could be like an inner monologue narrative because I'm not talking, and it could just be like a visual essay type of thing. I don't know if it would be from my perspective then or my perspective now. Right, as you're as uh, you're not talking, is it art house not talking, or is it a Charlie Chaplin movie about being asexual? <laughs> because i just you want know to what make... i'm into both of those well, <laughs> I'm into I both also pitches. you can uh i, I want to make sure like is there any hijinks we're missing hijinks um did you discover anything weird in the store did you discover some a terrible secret about zellers um all, all of Zeller's terrible things were out in the open for all to see. There was no secrets to uncover. And when you're walking around the city, did you break something and then realize that no one was going to actually stop you? Or I, I, If I could describe it as anything, I was like an adolescent Bigfoot on a skateboard. Because no one was around. It felt like I was exploring the dark wilderness completely by myself. Just like looking at things and just like moving around. And kind of just like... I, I, at that point, I had a video, I had, I had a video camera for a few years, but I was in Oakville. There wasn't really much interesting to, to record or take memories of. Like I would do like, you know, stupid videos with my friends or whatever, but I'm like, I'm, I'm seeing like what felt like sets for weird movies, uh, for in a bizarre scenario. I'm like, if I had the budget to shoot a zombie movie right now, I would, because this is the perfect time to do it, but I, I can't. So I'm just going to look at this and, uh, and assess mm -hmm. it. It, it, felt like a, it felt like a city that had just been built but hadn't opened yet. It was like, it was just, there was nothing to see. And I and, feel like yeah, even I, though, I, I feel like even though, uh, like I didn't experience this blackout, that's a key part of, that those years is you're finally you're coming home from parties or something you're walking home at 3 a.m and you're experiencing mm -hmm. what that silence is like and seeing the city in a new light well well that's the thing that i like if there was narration i would explain this too which is okay i'm 17 at this time and i would still be in oakville for another uh for another five years now in the four years since leaving high school again a, a vast majority of my friends moved away uh but i'm like 18 years old 18 and early 20s so every weekend for the most part or whenever it behooved me to i would take the train into toronto and you know go see a concert or go you know go see a show or go to a good movie theater and see like a weird movie that's playing in toronto or something like or cinema whatever was there like you're learning to be okay with being alone absolutely every single weekend i'm doing Which that. everyone should 
and and I'm I'm a I'm experiencing Toronto like that, and and in Toronto, like even mostly at night, there's always sort of people around, and so I'm not necessarily alone. I'm just sort of you know experiencing that and going out into the world with all that, and then you would take the twelfth. Uh, twelve forty-five. Uh, go train home, which is about an hour or a forty-minute train ride. Generally, that was pretty much alone. And then I would walk where I lived at the time was about a twenty-minute walk from the train station in Oakville. So I'm I'm there around one o'clock in the morning, and that walk that I had taken dozens, maybe hundreds of times after I had just like you know, seen the Beastie Boys, or after I had just, you know, seen, like, a band I'd loved for a long time and never seen before, I'd been to a punk show where, like, it was the first time I, like, crowd surfed or moshed or stage dived or, you know, I'm kind of beaten up or whatever, or, like, you know, all these other feelings where I'm, like, learning all this stuff. Uh, for other people, those are memories that they may have with other people. For me, all the solid memories are those events... And then a few hours later, being completely alone, in the dark in Oakville, in 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 near in near darkness. Like the lights are on, but the that's a that Oakville's a town that goes to bed at nine p.m. Like there's no one on the roads, there's no one on the streets, and I I had to I got to repeat that many 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 times, and I describe that to people, and it sounds sad or weird to them to me it was never that it's a meditative exercise it was an incredibly meditative experience i got to reflect on things so much i got to feel inspiration i got to to stew in inspiration and feel that way and it was a way i was comfortable and it it was a it was something i had come to terms with pretty much on that night that that is how i process inspiration yeah it's how I it's how I uh, absorb these things and apply them to my own life and to my own experiences and would eventually uh, put forth in my own work and you know comedy and art and perspectives and things and for me it's just I it there's very few even scenes let alone movies or stories or characters experiencing that and I. It's it's it not really is an art house it, film. It truly is, and I understand that the that the audience isn't for everybody because I know that my experience isn't like everybody's, and it's not necessarily a thing that is easily, you know, digestible or sellable. You know, the, the, is it the, a short film because of that? I feel like it could be. Uh, what I what I said. Uh, uh, I I feel like my story would be an interesting part of a three-part trilogy of three different people's experiences mm-hmm. with that blackout. Yeah. Like I, because I, I, I don't know if it necessarily, because to, to me, you watch a movie and you're getting that filmmaker's perspective on the world that they, the world as they see it. And maybe to an extent the world in which they, the world they wished existed like i i think i think it was an old kevin smith thing is like writers craft their version of the perfect world well you're literally uh, ignoring plot it's, it's yes yeah. uh, it's uh you're choosing at every deliberate term uh turn not to buy into an ego story and and 
j just to just to pay a little uh a, a little nod to people out there who may genuinely think I'm weird, I will accept that it is a little bizarre because the only example in my mind of the type of filmmaking that I'm seeing this portrayed as that I that I could say, yeah, it's similar to that, is there is a Netflix special called Inside Jeffrey Dahmer. And what they do <laughs> is they just show they just show the mundane life of Jeffrey Dahmer. Just him this is the sound on the... Yeah, I know. I know. I know. But that's they wanted to show the banality of a monster. The banality of this man's The banality life. of evil, yeah. The banality of evil. Of just being and, and like just I think him Trump sums that up perfectly. Yeah. Exactly. It's not grandiose in any way. It's actually very underwhelming. It's disappointing. And like, but there's there's elements of there's elements of, of storytelling that invoke the visual of a person alone in their own thoughts, and they're almost always either with a tinge of, uh, uh, you know, deviancy or a tinge of danger or something like you know the last Joker movie. I think I think like seventy five percent of that movie is Joaquin Phoenix walking around sad. Yeah. Uh, well, but and, like, and what I was gonna say is like we don't want the banality of evil like i'm sure it would almost make us feel better right now if if we had to have an evil world leader we wish it was hans gruber like we wish there was yeah. some like thought behind it and some like fashion yeah, stroking a cat yeah. and and like threatening to like blow up mars you know you want you want something fun something you could say that's a bad guy yeah. uh, i don't feel me, bad I'm... about myself he's really good at this i i don't i don't know if i can explain if if this makes sense to anybody or if this or if this idea of a of a of a storytelling narrative would ever work i say the banality of evil i want this to be the banality of happiness the fact that i am slowly accepting that this is good for me and i'm happy with it now Anytime you see someone come to an epiphany or of the happiness that they have in their lives, they've achieved something, they've overcome an obstacle, they finally got what they felt they deserved, uh, injustice has been has been exposed, like things like this happen. That's how that's how stories end. That's that's stories. That's story structure. To me, this isn't like this isn't necessarily a story. It's just a, a moment in my life that meant that meant a lot to me. That upon reflection, I realized, oh wow, that was that was actually a pretty big moment for me but nothing really happened it's kind of hard to explain right, which is and why like, you need the visual of the lights coming on you need to see you in perfect relaxation in the baseball diamond and then to make anyone give a shit yeah. yes you need something like to make this a movie that people get you have to do that now this movie would be less art housey if i was a world famous respected genius <laughs> like the the minor moments of his life when things came together and any any this was the day that it all started and like this would have been the fourth movie made about me mm -hmm. at that point you know like oh let's let's you know like was it i'm not there by bob dylan where it's like all the points of his life told in fantastical ways with different actors and yada yada and we can interpret them in weird ways like i'm currently i am an interesting person but i am not a noteworthy uh international uh you know man about town 
anything. And I and I'm not necessarily striving to be that. I just want to make what I make and have that be satisfied with it. And uh, if you know the premise of your podcast is like, oh, tell these stories, then that's the most interesting story I have to tell right now in my mind. Well, if I had to sum up like the uh, the thesis statement or the um, uh, the diatribe of it, it's that everyone is interesting. Not everyone knows how to tell a story and not everyone knows how to make themselves be the hero of their own story. So you are actually one of the first people on my list uh, just as, because I'd rather have a very interesting conversation than like, Mm. there are, I don't even mean this in a mean way, but I think I've tanked part of my career because I'm less uh, interested in people who bring hype and awareness to my career as much as I would prefer good people who make me think and uh, uh, grow in that way. So you, you what's, very much hit the bill what's, there. Well, thank you very much. And like, what's important, if uh, you're listening out there, hello. Uh, hello, the audience. If oh, you, we didn't see you hello, there. Hello, audience. Hi. <laughs> oh, uh, if you are a person... And if anything I've made I've said has made any sense to you about just your life as a creative person. Or you're a dog and, on a and, treadmill who just has earbuds in. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if any of this has resonated with you in any way, this is like, if, if, a, if a young stand-up ever talks to me about like comedy, it was like very brand new and is like looking for advice. I'm not necessarily the person to talk to for like career success advice. But I always try to give them just, like, lifestyle and perspective advice. Just being like, is what you're doing right now, do you enjoy it? Which is exactly what Lee did. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. like, do you feel satisfaction that, like, at the very least you feel like you're learning something every day that, and that's why you like it? That, like, these are the feelings you have and that this is, that, that you're on your own path? That, like you're aware like you're aware you're on your own path right like you're not asking me for advice to tell to tell you what the path is like you you know that you're gonna make mistakes and and succeed in ways i'm not and, or never would and like you are you comfortable like do you feel like a sense of of comfort at the very least being this and doing this and there was a young comic who was asking about that and that's that was when and they were going around a table like asking people just, like, just, hey, just give me, give me advice you just... No, just, yeah <laughs> well well no just being like just give me advice and people are like oh you know like never wear shorts on stage blah, blah, blah. like all the stock things you say apparently you're supposed to say to young comics or whatever and all that and i and literally this person's probably been doing comedy for like three months i'm like are you having fun like are you thinking about writing stuff are you thinking about what you want to do going forward are you seeing a place for you here and if you're not are you seeing how you could have one like things like that because oh, yeah and 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 80 percent of the stuff you make will never get made so it's just important that you have a catharsis in making it because otherwise there is no yeah. point because also that's that's me trying to encourage that mindset one and it's also me in a small little way kind of gauging their reaction to that comment whether or not that had ever occurred to them 
whether they had never occurred to them that they're like, oh, this is actually like, if I want to like a, a career or basically pursue the arts, this will very much become my life if I really love it and care about it. Or is that not a thought at all? Am I just here for success? Do I just need validation? Do I want this? And thankfully this person did not read that way to me and that's beautiful. Uh, but for others it does. Uh, and to you I say, uh, get help or get fucked. We don't need you in entertainment. Uh, <laughs> sorry, but we don't. Uh, there's a whole uh, rash of... I, I say a timestamp it right now like it's going to fucking magically go away. There's a rash right now of, of people being exposed as being abusers in comedy. And to me, it's just like, I don't know if these people have those struggles. Maybe they do. But at the same extent, I feel like it's just power dynamics and power and like can corrupt a, a person to a degree that they'll do atrocious things and or, or atrocious things to others or atrocious things to themselves and creativity can fuck you up man uh if you if you devote your life to it you need to know why and if creativity and is fame for you that's you're that's screwed that's bad uh, and go to youtube and go to youtube you don't have to be in a community of people you actually see on youtube oh yeah you celebrity like, like fi fi yeah yeah d d be an influencer go be an influencer we don't don't do this like don't don't have don't have to ride in cars for hours with people don't have to share hotel rooms with people in, uh, if you're a megalomaniacal ba uh, bastard uh in so, a sense of wrapping this up and i'm just gonna yeah that was a tangent I, I'm, pardon me i'm gonna <laughs> say to matt my beloved producer who's uh, uh, trying to edit this, how would you have uh, shut this down? We, we talked about sexuality, uh, spirituality, philosophy, and, and social justice. Uh, that's that's going to take two hours. You know what? It takes two hours, and now prejudice is gone. You're welcome, yeah. everyone. I think... I I think somewhere in there we talked about a movie, but mostly we talked about everything I've ever thought well, of. Well, that's how <laughs> so... <laughs> that's how I kind of want to wrap this up, because I'm going to tell you how to contextualize this so that people will watch this with popcorn. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, the, the oh, and, t-shirts. And, and by the way, incidentally, like, my, my dream project I have is, like, a story that is basically the intergalactic video by the Beastie Boys, but it's a couple that are having a domestic dispute, and one of them's a robot, one of them's a giant lizard. I like stupid movies and stupid narratives and stuff. I just thought if I want to talk about my own life, it would be disingenuous to say that it's been a, a, a rip-roaring hoot of craziness exactly. front to back, and I'm awesome. It, I, I, uh... There are people who have led fantastic lives who have had movies made about their lives, and even when they're like true to them, I feel like they all cringe a little bit at, at things that are done. Like to me, I feel like Rocket Man, the Elton John movie, that's fine because it makes no sense. Uh, but oh, I, I just could have gone mad. I thought thought of the Rocketeer, and I'm just like, yes, Alan Arkin was great in that, and now <laughs> I've brought up Alan Arkin once in every episode, so. <laughs> There it is. Take a drink. Um, and one of but... the best uh, villain deaths of all time, speaking of people you want, Philip, but um, Timothy Dalton blowing up on a jetpack as a Nazi? That's... Ooh. Yeah, see? Things are fun. My favorite movie of all time is Robocop. I'm not here to judge anybody on highbrow versus lowbrow. And yeah, this, this movie is uh, very highfalutin, I suppose you could say, in some ways. 
Well, but and in some ways, me, I would say that this movie is the opposite of After Hours. For those who haven't seen After Hours, I'll sum it up in a philosophy of this man who refuses to accept the gifts of his situation. Only, like, <laughs> fighting the universe makes his life infinitely worse. Whereas you have yes-anded the shit out of everything you ever did. Period. Yeah, kind of, I guess. I and and that, that is actually my weird. only note on that movie is they just should have made that more clear. And I think that's uh, yeah. dialogue not with the main character, but the secondary characters having it. And it's, it's a minute touch. And I wish I wish that movie had done more, uh, done better, because I would love to see Martin Scorsese do weirder things. So I'm going to pitch you this as a movie now. Existential meaningless. There is no goal. Are we, uh, are we open or, uh... Oh, okay. Hello, JD. It's me, Alan Rickman. I'm your evil boss. Do you want to confront that at all? Uh, probably not. Uh, I know I was only supposed to be here till 9, but, like, if... Let's call it at, like, 6.30? I don't know. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's cool. Hey, JD, yeah. we're a bunch of, like, sexy teens, and we're just exploring our sexuality and with, through ice cream, and we just love if you'd, like, hang out and just, like, express yourself with your body. Ah, that sounds awesome for you guys. Um, listen, I'm good. Oh, is that ice cream for everybody? Oh, don't wait. Uh, but, uh, now nah, I'm good. Uh, you guys report back to me with whatever you've discovered. Cool, see you around. JD, it's me, Tim. I'm dressed like Andrew. But you won't know that till the future. We need to get these batteries from Radio Shack so we can fix the radio and communicate with the outside. I've created an intricate bargaining system, but we're going to have to pull a long con. Uh, how long of a con? Because I'm, I'm probably, uh... I, that's not really that important, I'm not really sure. It's at least like but, an hey, hour and a you know half. What? Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, look, uh, power's out is what it is. Uh, I'm just gonna head home. Uh, are you good? You got a ride? Yeah, yeah. You got a ride? Killing some time. Yeah. Alright, cool. Well, uh, yeah, I'll probably be back in like a day. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. Greetings, young traveler. You have discovered the underground elevator of the mall. Solve my free riddle and be rewarded with your heart's desire. Um, I don't think I'm in the right spot. 
Sorry to bother you. I, uh... Yeah, that's where I was headed. That's where I was going. Um, like, yeah, I'm so... Like purple, like purple horse. You're, you're Blue. yellow Yeah, that was, that was it. Uh, should I tell other people you're here, or... No, it's kind of my whole purpose. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I just kind of stumbled on this. It's not necessarily like, a, like I'm, I'm not intruding, am I? Like I'm not. This isn't like. No, no. Hey, hey, careful on your way out because the, the people from the bay have gotten in a, a turf war with people from HMD and the kind of like apocalypse now Mad Max. Well, I don't know if that interests you at all. It's like plot point or initiating action. I would. Uh, I don't think there was a tribe in the Warriors called the Conscientious Objectors, but, uh, that'd be me. <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I was gonna get on my board and, uh, zip around a little bit, see, uh, see what's what, but, uh, yeah, man, uh, you keep on keeping on. I'm gonna go, uh, yeah, we're good. I know it was a movie producer, I shouldn't say this, but... If we're to show the next part of the clip, it's just a series of shots of a teenager being okay and his complete self-acceptance, and it's very beautiful and powerful. It's just, it's a lesson you all should learn. I think if you just gave it a chance, you'd actually really enjoy it. Wait, please watch the film. Please. Soundtrack available on Interscope Records. be the most exciting thing is that the music was pretty good you know what i have to <laughs> the one riff that i held back on was when you were mentioning toto's africa because it's in every mall but when i worked in old spaghetti factory we had to put it on rotation because one of mm. the lead singers of toto would come in and was a regular client so we always had to make sure toto was playing every time wouldn't wouldn't that be crazy annoying to him though like i've I feel like the last thing Paul McCartney wants to hear anymore is Beatles songs out in the world. Yeah, that's true. But he just, I, maybe he worries he'd hurt our feelings if he didn't show up to listen to um, Africa. That we that we weren't aware of the one song his band is known for. Why not any other Toto songs? They have other songs. I I don't I don't know any of those songs. This. Uh, Neither do I, but I know they do. They have it's to. true. They don't let you just put out one song. <laughs> Even a single <laughs> OP has to have, like, three. There were others. I'm sure there's ones, but I'll let it go. All right, well, um, JD, do you have anything you, you want to plug before we go out? Uh, I... No. Right now, no. Uh, you have, like, a, a, the a universal still... Twitter handle or anything? Oh, yeah, I guess there's that. I mean, like, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram, at JD Renault, at Twitter, at JD Renault, R-E-N-A-U-D. Um, the only reason I have trepidation to say no is because it's it's 
June and the world still isn't open and I got nothing to really promote at the immediate moment. Even during the fact that this takes place in 2003, was YouTube a thing yet? Like, where were you nope. putting these videos you were shooting? Oh, nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I was editing on, on two, with two VCRs. Yeah. And that's the real horror movie, the new generation. <laughs> There's like... Yeah, I know. <laughs> There are young people listening to this that won't sleep tonight. I'm waiting for, like, a Stranger Things version of the early 2000s where it's just, like, people on, like, ICQ and MSN Messenger and, like, still watching actual TV when there's a show is on and not really, you know. The internet was very larval VCRs, at that point. VCRs, man. VCRs. Yeah, it was very quaint. Yeah. Uh... But yeah, promoting wise, I'm I'm working on things. Hopefully, I'll have some stuff to to show in a couple months. But right now, I'm hunkering down, staying what safe. What pages uh, are your is your art displayed uh, on? Oh, uh, oh, uh, yeah. If you go to my Instagram, like at JD Renault, you'll see a whole lot of stuff there, and you'll see a link to my website, which is theplaceholdershow.com. Uh, I have full galleries of all my stuff there, and when my store reopens, that's where you can also buy stuff as well. Uh, and uh, I like that the most yeah. posting I had to do for this was to make you promote yourself. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> there we go. Well, JD, thank you for for doing this, and and Matt, good luck editing it down. I am yeah, Matt, fascinated <laughs> at what you're gonna do with this. And remember, hope you care because you're the one guy I know who's gonna have to listen to all. And of depending it. on what you cut, you could be oppressing him. <laughs> yeah, you you never know. People don't even know if I'm offended at things they say. <laughs> All right. Maybe I am. Um, anyway, thank yeah. you for joining us, the audience. And as always, you're welcome. Punch Up Your Life has been a stupid fancy production in partnership with Showbiz Monkeys. The show was hosted and created by Andrew Lazat. You can find Andrew on Twitter and Instagram as at VinLazat. Or check us out on Facebook at Punch Up Your Life. Theme music was composed and performed by Leif Ingerbritsen, photography by Tyra Sweet, and artwork was designed by Todd Graham. The show was produced, edited, fact-checked, and all questions and tangents were researched by me, Matt Ardill. Please remember to like and subscribe. And leave a comment. Let us know which stories you'd like to see get made into a film, or pitch us your own story. Who knows? You could end up being the next guest of the show. Thanks for listening, and remember, you are the hero of your own story. <laughs>